Run, run that fact by me again. She says no more mutants, and it works for everyone except for one hundred and ninety-eight, ninety-eight specific people. Specific people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's. I mean, there is. We absolute... had to save the franchise somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Hello, and welcome to Can't Let It Go, a deep dive into the things that are stuck in our heads. My name is Matt, and I use he/him pronouns. I'm AC. I use they/them pronouns. And uh, we really are starting the show just to talk about the stuff that we consume that makes us have thoughts. Some deep thoughts. Some not so deep thoughts. Some thinky, thinky thoughts. Yeah. Things that we want to share with each other and potentially with you. This is the first time we're trying the show. And um, the only thing that I have told AC that we're talking about is the word X-Men. I love X-Men. <laughs> so, I have no complaints. <laughs> AC, can you tell me what you know about the X-Men? Like, what do, what do the X-Men mean to you? <laughs> what do I know about X-Men? Okay. Despite being someone who loves comics and comic books... I was not allowed to consume them much as a child. The X-Men were movies to me first and the live action Anna Paquin, Hugh Jackman movies to me before they were comics. One of my parents is like very against action movies or not against. That's not the right way to put it. Doesn't like them. So I didn't I had to make the case for like, I want to read comics because after seeing these movies, I was like, I want to read comics. Mm -hmm. Right. Um, Really, I think the thing that I, that where the majority of my X-Men knowledge in the same way, the majority of my like Wonder Woman knowledge Mm -hmm. comes from the Justice League animated series. I would say that the majority of my knowledge about the X-Men comes from the X-Men animated series, which I did watch all of start to finish several times in college. Um, And then pretty much since then, I haven't engaged with it a lot. So there are. A bunch of people, but generally speaking, often teenagers mm-hmm. um, who have mutant powers. Mm-hmm. And some of them are mutants because of the genetic mutation. Some of them are mutants because they're aliens. Yeah. And we're going to talk later about <laughs> another mutant who is a mutant for different reasons. So, uh, yes, some of that. Yes, there it seems to be mutant is a very broad term. Um, for not your standard human, not your standard issue, regular schmegular Joe. Mm -hmm. I mean, I can like list the X-Men that I know. I don't think there's any need Um. to do that. I think we know who the X-Men are. (laughs) It's funny that the thing that you mentioned your kind of history with comics, the time that I remember you like consuming comics is around like New 52 Wonder Woman. Yes. Yeah. That was actually... um, friend of the podcast jesse <laughs> um, uh can we in fact, have re- friends of the podcast in- if it's not a podcast sure, yet yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yes uh friends of the podcast reading that our mutual friend of a friend yeah. jesse um i like very distinctly remember i was reading a lot of comics i had talked with jesse jesse works at hub comics in boston i was in boston in 2013 and i got to go visit hub and um, he gave me the first like two or three issues of the Wonder Woman New 52. And I was like, whoa, mm-hmm. it was really good. So I go through phases of comics reading, right? Um, I think, uh, I believe it was 2006 was the Civil War event. And that was like the first yeah. time that I like read comics. I may have read a Teen Titans like trade paperback before then. 
Yeah. Um, I can't, but it was around the same time. Certainly Teen Titans fanfic before oh, any yeah. of that. Teen, Teen, Teen Titans <laughs> fanfic long before that. I was a big Teen Titans fan and, as you know well, deep into that fanfiction uh, sub-fandom. My introduction to Marvel, though, for sure, was... Um, was Civil War. And like, this is a time where like the only Marvel content that was sort of mainstream were those X-Men movies and the Spider-Man mm-hmm. movies, right? So they're yeah. like very pre-MCU. Um, I love the MCU, but like it was a different world. Like we, we like different things about comic book movies, right? Yes. Um, yeah. And yes, that X-Men animated series um, was probably my foundational X-Men experience. Um, but the X-Men to me for the longest part of my life have been those X-Men movies. Yeah. I am, you You probably know this since we are good friends and you follow me online, huh? but I have been on a comic book, call it a hyper-focus, call it adventure, <laughs> call it whatever you yeah. want. Um, a deep dive. Deep dive right behind me are like four framed comics. Nice. And I have four on that wall over there. And what you can't see is right behind me in some long boxes are about 60 other books nice. that I've bought over the last few months. Um, originally because I've been playing Marvel Snap um, mm. and started collecting for art, but then because I started reading them, and it turns out comic books fucking rule. <laughs> they rule, actually. Yeah. They're great. Yeah. So Little fun short stories with really great illustrations. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, I started reading, um, at first, the series uh, Angela, uh, Asgard's Assassin, and Angela, Queen of mm. Hell, which is I was reading because another friend was reading who was also playing Marvel snap and Angela and Sarah are cards in that game, but also characters I didn't know anything about. Right. Yeah. And it turns out I they're, this, no like, that is. they're this like incredible queer couple. And like Sarah is a trans woman and like they have this beautiful love story and it's, it's like super good. And that same friend, my online friend, Zeno, started reading the Jonathan Hickman series, House of X and Powers of 10, which is where the sort of adventure begins. And they recommended this to um, a group of our friends, but I specifically picked it up and holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) So um, Jonathan Hickman is, I think he would probably push back against like the auteurship thing um mm. you know but he is this kind of like well respected um author and artist um that does a lot of marvel has done his own creator owned books mm-hmm. right and i think most recently did one as well and is rumored to be coming back for a new doctor strange series mm-hmm. um but he did books before this but he is well known for um the latest secret wars run as well as this um kind of career defining fantastic four run um okay. But I would say I was not reading comics when this is the case, but it strikes me as his X-Men run, which he did mm-hmm. right after Secret Wars, is like you would be surprised that he won up Secret Wars, right? Mm. Um, people talk about Secret Wars like it's this like incredible like, um, you know, Marvel Universe defining um, series and, and specifically his 2015 version because it's a it's a remake of a previous event. Um, sure. But what is it? Yeah, for real. <laughs> That's the whole thing, right? <laughs> um, but House of X and Powers of Ten is something that is wholly unique. Um, and I was watching an interview with him earlier, and he said um, he calls it additive, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but also referential, right? Um, it is to the mythology. Is House of X the one that folks are talking about? Of it's like 
potentially connected to Agatha in WandaVision? Um, I don't know what story you're referring to, but that would not be this one. Um, okay. Uh, maybe House of M. House of M. House of M. We will talk about House mm-hmm. of M. That's, that's what it is. Okay. See, and that's how my little sieve brain works. <laughs> there were several words in common there, and I thought I knew something, and I didn't. Yeah. That's... So, in fact, House of X is a direct re- direct reference to that title, um, and Got we'll it. talk about why. So, okay. Um, one thing that I know about X Men is that there have it, I think it's really core to the identity of X Men and and mutants generally that they are a persecuted people. Right. Um, that is explicitly stated by Stanley in like early interviews about their creation. And also, I think just inherent in the stories that are told about these people because they're, you know, Stanley says, like, I was tired of writing origin stories. So I created these people who were born with these powers. Right. And then mm-hmm. the story kind of fell out from there. He's yeah. a Jewish man. Right. Like these things kind of like just naturally um, sort of take shape because of the people that are creating them plenty of criticism about Stanley as a person, but like sure. the way that he tells stories is based on his own experiences. And because they're naturally persecuted, I think maybe unfortunately, um, we can talk about how important, you know, action comic books are and, and the stories that get told there. But I think maybe unfortunately, a lot of the stories about X-Men are stories of genocide, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so you talked about House of M. Um, which is one of those genocides. I've kind of got an order that I want to go through, but um, we'll talk about that genocide. But one of the early ones is um, the, well, early is relative, but one of the, one of the historical ones is the legacy virus, which is this kind of weak, somewhat problematic parallel to HIV. Mm. Um, It, uh, I think is ultimately the most like comic booky. And frankly, to me, like the least interesting version of mutant genocide um, the legacy virus kind of came in two forms and the first two affected mutants only. And then it kind of evolved into this third form that spread across, you know, the human populace as well. Um, and eventually there's a cure that is, you know, disseminated by Colossus sacrificing himself. And, um, you know, it, it's a comic book. They have to overcome it. Right. Sure. <laughs> um, yeah. uh, but it does, it, it is still a virus that it that affects a lot of mutants and kills a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I think one of the more uh, notorious genocides is that of Genosha. I'm probably pronoun- pronouncing that wrong. X-Men, I think it's not, again, I, I want to talk about this later, but it, I don't think it's like terribly coded that it's a a, a racial metaphor, right? That it's like, sure. that you, you can kind of put mutants in place of a ton of minority groups, but like, especially when they were first around, it was like, these are representing like black folks, right? Yeah. Um, and because of that, I think that some of the origins of the Genosian story are a little iffy. So Genosha is formerly this like prosperous island nation, and it's built on the slavery of mutant kind. Mm. I did not know that. I knew about like the Genosian like genocide and sort of the end of that story, but I went to like research this while writing this outline. I was like, that's fucked. That's what we put in the category of uh, not great. <laughs> yeah, you'll hear people talk about like prominent X Men runs and. Uh, this is the Claremont run and Claremont was using this um, supposedly to speak specifically on South African apartheid, um, Mm. which is, uh, I guess what the role of this story was for. That was, that was what he was saying it was for. Okay. 
in the story, Magneto sort of takes over, destroys this government, um, and he restores Genosha to this vibrant nation with a population of 16 million mutants and kicks out all the humans, right? Because that's how he gets the UN to sort of recognize that this is his nation and sort of cede the land to him. Okay. This place is kind of, uh, it's a home for mutants, but it's it's also, um, not everyone's there, right? Um, but it is a thriving population. And eventually, because it's comic books, it is eventually destroyed by Cassandra Nova's central army, Sentinel army. Cassandra Nova is Xavier's like cosmic evil twin, basically. Like I, I can't even, I read about who Cassandra Nova is and I kind of understand it, but it's like this, uh, Cassandra Nova is this like, a cosmic anti-creation that exists mm. because Xavier exists mm. and uh, is Cassandra's like main goal is to wipe out mutant kind. Right. Cool. So that's why, you know, the central army. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's why the central army attacks Genosha and like millions of mutants die that day, like in a single day, like the majority of that, pop- not even the majority. Like I, I could tell you the exact numbers. I don't have the like panels up, but it's like 90% of that population is, destroyed right yeah which leads us to house of m which starts out actually in genosha um Uh so scarlet witch we i could do a whole episode on scarlet witch when it's not what we're here for today but um (laughs) scarlet witch is like often painted as this out of control mutant um on the edge of a nervous breakdown and is like presided over in these very um paternalistic ways right mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. very literally at the beginning of house of m is provided over by her father and these psychic mutants that are sort of holding her back from exploding if you've seen mm-hmm. not to it's probably too late to spoil this but you've seen dr strange and the multiverse of madness like yeah the story they're riffing off of is this very this story that happens to scarlet witch a ton of times which is that she is on the verge of a mental breakdown is kind of this hero become villain through her own mental instability. <laughs> Say mm-hmm. it. <laughs> <laughs> what, what, what a mess. What, what, it, what, uh, I'll take the worst version of that story for 500 Alex. Yeah. Like just, just, it is the kind of story that for a long time made me not interested in comics. Mm-hmm. Right. It is the kind of approach to the story that I was like, well, I'm not really, Maybe comics aren't for me because I don't like reading only about men getting to do cool stuff mm-hmm. and being stable or interesting or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and I think a lot of people would point to, and I, you know, definitely in my my own history with comics have like pointed to this story as a way in which Scarlet Witch was powerful or, um, you know, affected the universe without recognizing that like the story itself existing um, is like a trope and a negative trope at that. Right. Sure. Um, so in the beginning of house of M she's having this breakdown, she's being held back. Um, and the Avengers and the X-Men plot to kill her. Oh, good. Um, (laughs) because they're, they're basically like, we don't want to do this, but we can't let, we cannot let her, um, her powers are reality warping. Like we can't let her go nuts and destroy everything. Unlike all the other times reality has been destroyed. Exactly. This one, <laughs> this one we can't let it happen this time. Yeah. So uh, Magneto gets word that people are going to come and kill her. And he basically is just like, fuck it. He lets her loose and she creates an alternate reality. And 
a bunch of things are true in that alternate reality, but it's really this kind of playground for, you know, writers to um, write unique scenarios in that like maybe wouldn't be possible. Um, but it's also extremely traumatic, not only for Scarlet Witch, which is a problem, but also for like the people in her family, right? Her brother, mm. her father, um, in sort of the the climax of that alternate reality, she uh, reaches an- another breaking point and famously says the words, no more mutants. And mm. the world is returned to normal, except all but 198 mutants have been depowered. I'm sorry. Okay. Run run that back by me again. She says no more mutants and it works for everyone except for 198 specific people. Specific people. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. There's, I mean, there is absolutely. You had to save the franchise somehow. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I believe I was, so this is, Civil War takes place right after this. I could not tell you the details uh, okay. because the most that I read X-Men before like a month ago <laughs> was that Civil War run. Yes. One of you out there knows more about this than us. That's not the point. Yeah, here. exactly. Like <laughs> That's not the point. The point is we're talking about genocides and sort of why this yeah. next run exists. Yeah. So these 198 mutants exist. Um, the Young Avengers run also uh, takes place like right around this time. And, you know, she starts kind of like undoing things in various storybooks. She'll, you know, the Young Avengers go and sort of find her from an alternate reality and bring her back into the regular one. And she starts repowering certain mutants. And then um, we have the Terrigen Mists. So you might remember five, six years ago, Disney had not bought Fox yet. Yeah. This is critical to the story. Critical. Um, And uh, before that purchase, it was clear that Disney wanted to replace the mutants with the Inhumans. Who are the Inhumans? The Inhumans are an offshoot race of humanity. Another one. Not the mutants. They are not mutants. They're not mutants. They we were, didn't have the rights to that yet. <laughs> they are created by Cree engineering. Right. So in humans and humans have been around for a long time. They're just not super popular. Right. Um, Black Bolt, um, I believe Medusa. um, Like these are these are in humans. If you have ever watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., that show is all about the inhumans. Right. right? They were, again, keen to replace mutants with inhumans because they didn't own the rights to the mutants. um, And then the Inhumans TV show just was awful and completely bombed. Um, and they ended up having to buy Fox. But anyway, in the comic books at the time, they were telling the story where basically, um, Thanos is coming to earth because, uh, he finds out he has this uh, inhuman son on earth named Thane as a part of that plot. I, I tried to read up on this and it's not clear if Black Bolt was like trying to like stop Thanos or like maybe find Thane, I'm not sure, but he basically, he creates this Terrigen bomb. It is not the first time that this has happened, but Terrigen activates the powers of Inhumans, but it's written in this story to also increase the power of mutants up to a point, but it increases it so much that they end up dying, right? Mm. So it's basically, it creates, or it kind of, Brings in humans to to light and literally kills X Men, right? Okay. Or or mutants generally. You see the wild thing about what they name this disease? Oh no! Oh oh no! Okay. It, it just can you guess? 
I I don't yeah. I don't know. It's so proud like it's Impox. It's literally Impox. It's literally Impox. Now this is before you know like Impox had like come back and like we knew that it was like but like that was a disease that existed, right? We mm-hmm. weren't calling it Impox at the time, mm-hmm. but it's literally Impox. Mm. Suffice to say that like X-Men fans are pissed at this story cuz it's so blatantly like Disney being like we are kill- we are literally killing off these mutants and literally replacing them. Yeah. Right? With other characters that interesting. You know, like the Inhumans famously have this like family dynasty, you know? Um and like X-Men were everyman, right? Or were yeah. were like they were just like people, right? That existed. Yeah. Um and that kind of had this thing thrust upon them when their mutant powers sort of activated right often in puberty right there is a there are there are obvious parallels and stories to be told here and disney and the marvel company is like we are erasing that in favor of ip yikes (laughs) when you were talking i what i realized is i was like why does some of this sound familiar to me because and it is because i after watching runaways read the runaways series which overlaps with some of the Young Avengers stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, because there's there is a point at which the Young Avengers and Runaways are fighting together. Like there's like They have that small little run of books together crossover. during the Civil War yeah. series. Yeah, that's right. That's the only runaways that I've ever really consumed. Yeah. Well, and I actually I started thinking about it because I was like, are the runaways considered to be mutants? Are they inhumans? Are they something else entirely? And I think at least I one of them is an inhuman uh, or not yeah. an inhuman, a mutant is a mutant. Because yeah. um, so I just finished playing Marvel's Midnight Suns and okay. um, one of them is referenced to be currently at Xavier's school. OK, OK. So historically, X-Men have been the story of uh, a people, right, being discriminated against at, the, as, at lightest. Right. But also like brutally murdered and hunted and, hunted and killed yeah. in the worst case or hunt, experimented on right you know any all of the things that happen to minorities right in the yeah. real lived world yeah. um and the house of x and powers of 10 run as well as the stories of x-men after that reboot are specifically positioned against that we're going to talk about okay. krakoa krakoa right. today is mm-hmm. a living mutant island. And when I say mutant island, the island is a mutant, okay? It is not just a place where, where mutants live. The island okay. is itself a mutant. a mutant being. Okay, and people live on it. Correct. Who are also mutants. Correct. Historically, okay. Krakoa is in some like 60s and, and even think 80s books, um, but they were created by... Um, Nuclear radiation. Great. Yes. Classic. I don't know how they existed before becoming a mutant, if they were just land or if they were a human or or whatever it was. Um, I'm not sure on those details, but like they were this kind of like this like kind of goofy, you know, character that didn't really um, have a ton of substance from what I can tell without, you know, having read those books, but like, you know, very much like a, a, caricature of sort of like older comic books right sure um and what jonathan hickman does with house of x and powers of 10 is really out of nowhere right 
have Charles Xavier convince Krakoa to become the home for mm. uh, for mutants. So I do want to get into like Xavier and Magneto at some point. Sure. And, and specifically what I think they are not. But what they are in Jonathan Hickman's story is, um, I think, a it is explicitly moving away from what they have been in the past, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas you might know Magneto as um, this sort of like violent, you know, villainous, but also somewhat freedom fighter, right? Mm -hmm. Many, many compare him to other real life people. And I think that that's a failure, right? Because he is objectively an evil person. He has done awful, really terrible things, right? Whereas um, Xavier is a, person who is trying to assimilate into human culture, right? He right. he sees if the humans could just give us the chance, right? We could live happily, peacefully together. Xavier and Magneto share a goal. They come from separate perspectives, but they share a goal in um, the Hickman run that is isolationist. It's separatist, mm. right? It is, we are going to go to this island and we are going to make a home for mutants. And none of you are welcome here. The difference between the island nation of Krakoa and the island nation of Genosha are that Genosha is reclaimed human land, right? Okay. Krakoa is literally a living mutant island, right? Like the they're like sparing no expense to say this is our <laughs> place. Like literally, this place is us. Right. Sure. Yes. And the there are these like um portals, these gates. You you take a flower from Krakoa, you go somewhere else, you plant that flower, it becomes a gate to go back to the, the mainland. Mm-hmm. And only mutants can go through those gates, right? Because okay. Krakoa itself decides who can come. Right. Yeah. So there's this wonderful article. It's by uh Women Write About Comics. And the article is called New Intersections, Queer Futurism, and the Krakoan Body Politic. Mm. It's worth a read. Um, I'll probably reference it a couple times. So Sinead Kinney says, I can't personally speak to some of these. The way I frame Krakoa comes from a line of dialogue from Cypher to the Krakoan Council in House of X number six. Krakoa is alive, not a place or a biome, a person. So I'd be careful how hard you want to lean into this whole property rights thing. I'm always reading Krakoa <laughs> through this lens as a sentient, conscious, subjective being, a mutant. That line is hysterical, by the way. There's so many yeah. like good, just like natural storytelling things that come out of Krakoa being a person, right? Yeah. I am. I am through what's called the Dawn of X, um, uh, you know, event at this point, and on to the the event Ten of Swords. And at the beginning of Ten of Swords, they're having this discussion about there's a particular special gate that they want to close off. And, you know, the council kind of votes to go ahead and close off this gate. And Krakoa says, no, I want the gate to be open (laughs) and completely overrides the council. Right. Yeah. Um, Because Krakoa is a person um, and Cypher specifically that they reference is um, is a mutant that is the only one that can actually speak to Krakoa. Um, oh. and, uh, is often Krakoa's voice. I see the voice of the people as it were. Yeah. Yeah. And the it, Vox Populi. it's interesting because like theoretically the council is supposed to be the voice of the actual people. Right. But it's, right. it's Cypher being the voice of the land. Right. Yeah. I, it's an, I, there's so many things that I like 
maybe don't know enough about to speak to, but like a lot of the times that I am reading this, I'm just thinking about like the various cultures this is referencing. Sure. It's establishing the, the series is establishing sort of mutantum as a culture in a way that I had never conceptualized before this. Mm. Um, and well, I'll say the way they kind of do that is to, um, it, it's a nice narrative device, but basically Krakoa and the other mutants have developed three world-changing drugs for humans. Um, one eliminates diseases of the mind. One mm. is a powerful antibiotic that uh, uh, like eliminates like thousands of diseases, right? I think the other mm. one just like extends human lifespan by five years through various other means. Nice. They basically are like, hey, we want a seat sort of at the world stage. And if you accept us, if you recognize our sovereignty, we will give you these drugs. What's really interesting is there's these whole there's this whole plot of them running sort of several corporations mm. to run a um, sort of smuggling operation into <laughs> the nations that don't allow those drugs so that the people demand it and they, they eventually gain that sovereignty in those nations yeah. as well. Interesting. Right. So there's like this whole new mutants. There's this whole story of a cartel kind of coming after some of the mutants that don't live on Krakoa as a way of getting access to some of those drugs. It just, it introduces so much opportunity um, for mutants to play at a level that is not like sort of individual power plays, you know, in sort of a smaller story, love a smaller story. Sometimes this is not that. Sure. I think it's interesting too. It sounds like it does. It, it, it's so, it seems like such an interesting storytelling device. And I think that it's so funny that even in a storytelling like setup where the story is that you are a mutant who ostensibly has been treated poorly in your life outside of coming to this island, you now become part of this island society. You are on the council of this island society and there are still conversations that seem to intentionally forget that you are living on an island that is a mutant, right? Like mm -hmm. that it feels like this interesting, really on the nose sort of narrative of like, you can build a thing with the best intentions, or you can know as much as you possibly know, like need to know about like, the land is a literal living, breathing thing and in this case the land is a literal living breathing person and there are still attitudes and understandings like that extend beyond your knowledge of that like yeah the land is a person yeah it's funny you said you can have all the knowledge you want like one of the interesting things is that the reason this all exists is that um uh i, I will not I'll try and not spoil House of, House of X and Powers of 10 too much, but like sure. Moira McTaggart, who is in, I think, all of the X-Men movies, but I don't remember her that much, um, is sort of like reframed as a mutant who um, who remembers her previous lives. She can be like reincarnated and remember a previous life. And so the reason they, that Magneto and Xavier, well, Xavier first, um, even try this experiment is because Moira basically comes to them and is like, it always ends in the destruction of mutant kind. Mm, right? Yeah. And so they they use her ability to live her life over and over and over again to plan the perfect scenario for mutant kind to prosper. Right? Yeah. And yet still, 
They now they they acknowledge they acknowledge yeah. that they are not going to get everything right, but yet still they stumble and screw it up, and even though they have sort of perfect knowledge of the situation. Yeah, so interesting. Yeah. Uh, I'm gonna pull up my folder of images really quick. Okay. A little show and tell. Show well, and tell. I will say the I sometimes like just fully forget about Fantastic Four, and I think that <laughs> that probably. I'm sure that it does a disservice to some like really great Fantastic Four story that is out there. <laughs> but I just, it is one that I literally always forget about. I definitely don't forget about them because the like mid 2000s movies like sit so strongly in my memory, even though they're so bad. Um, but like up from the people I know that have read them, um, Ooh, am I going to reference the person I reference all the time within like the first Ooh. hour? Um, uh, host of the show uh, Into the Aether, Brendan Bigley, is a big fan of uh, Fantastic Four. Um, I can't remember which one. It may be the Jonathan Hickman run. I'm not sure. Um, <laughs> but uh, specifically as being like a story of family. Like apparently they have, um, I mean they are family, you know, like, yeah. um, and apparently there's just like really good stuff there. And apparently the Reed Richards, Re- the Reed Richards dynamic, speaking of feeling like you can know everything and still fuck it up. Right. Yeah. Um, like that's kind of his thing. Yeah. <laughs> you know, that is Reed Richards. <laughs> so I, I should read more fantastic four or just like figure, like even like read some Nazis and whatnot. Sure. But I'm with you. Like they are like lesser in my brain. There's actually a fantastic four and X-Men series that um, took place during Dawn of X that apparently is not very good. Um, Interesting. So so we've talked about uh, the mutants as um, as having a culture for the first time. And one of the ways that they do that is they've invented their own language, which is like telepathically inserted into each mutant's brain the first time that they go through a Krakoan gate. In, <laughs> Yeah, you're making a face. <laughs> That's Okay. All right. So you're telling me that in this world, I pass through a magical door as permitted by a giant island. And when I arrive there, I know an entirely different language. Correct. Just in my brain already there. Mm -hmm. Honestly, that sounds... Forget Duolingo. I need the the telepathy right to the brain. They do a lot of telepathy. I didn't realize how much like communication in X-Men books was like telepathy and just like you know, like psychic generally. And it is wild how much is, is, you know, psychically. Listen, I will say as, as a queer person, if we're like acknowledging like a, like an allegory of code switching or whatever, there's very much like a, a look will tell you a lot. Mm-hmm. In fact, <laughs> as a queer person looking at a, another queer person in a heterosexual space, you're like, yeah, a, a thing I wasn't going to say on the show, but that I have absolutely named this section of my outline for these notes is um, Jonathan Hickman's X-Men and uh, Solar Punk Krakoan Queer Liberation. <laughs> LOL. Yeah, they've created this language. Um, they ter- start to establish their own laws. They have the uh, mentioned the Council of Rulers that are specifically um three members of uh like the four major factions of mutants i don't know exactly how they're breaking that down i assume it's hickman being like i don't know here's some rough breakdowns um but there are three laws that are created in at least the house of x powers of 10 
by the council are make more mutants, murder no man, and respect the sacred land, which kind of gets to Krakoa being able to, you know, sure. kind of override council's rulings, etc. Yeah. Um, at least in regards to things that have to do with the land. Yeah, I think that that is all that we need to say about Krakoa, except for, you ready for some more comic book shit? Oh boy. <laughs> Something about comic books, generally, is that there's a lot of death, but there's also a lot of resurrection, right? Mm. It's a joke. Somebody dies in a comic book or a comic book movie. They are going to come back. It, it's just, mm-hmm. it's inevitable. Um, maybe in the MCU, it's less so because those contracts are <laughs> expensive, but that is us like theorizing outside the existence, you know, the stories of comic books. Yes. To tell us that Loki was dead, they had to literally show his face turning purple and everyone mourn him in order to be like, he's dead for real. And then they made a whole show that was like, he is dead for real in that time. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> and in fact, there were interviews after that movie where they were like, no, he's dead, 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 yeah. dead, dead, dead. And he's then they dead. announced he's- the Loki TV show. <laughs> and like, he's dead and we really mean it this yeah. time. <laughs> So, like, this is, it's a it's a joke, right? And it's a fun yeah. joke. Like, no one's complaining necessarily. I bet there are people complaining. But no one's complaining sure. that, you know, like, comic book characters that, you know, have existed since, like, the 40s are still the same age or, like, are coming back from the dead. Like, is it weird? Sure. Is it a little sure. unbelievable? Absolutely. But so is, like, you know, powers to, like, telekinesis or, like, what i'm about to talk about which is like creating non-viable eggs wait are you telling me that you don't have telekinetic powers i do not have telekinetic powers shit it's just me it's just me this entire time i famously said if i had to have one power it would always be that because you get about seven other powers alongside it yeah (laughs) hell yeah um so one thing is that oftentimes when these characters come back, they're maybe different in some way. They're not themselves. Maybe they're a completely different person. Um, infamously, and this was not a death, but like this is the kind of ways that people come back. Um, Psylocke, you may know her as an Asian woman. What I didn't know until recently was she is this British white lady who has had her, per- like her, consciousness transferred into the body of this Asian woman, which comes with a whole slew of issues. And only in 2018, after 30 years of people being like, that's fucked up. Did she and that other woman switch bodies back again? Right? Like this is the stuff that happens in comic books. And it's often the way that people are resurrected. And in fact, I believe there was some resurrection involved in like the process of switching them back. Right. Um, Okay. Krakoa can resurrect any mutant they want at any time. Oh. They basically have used um, the power of who they call the five. Um, Okay. There is a mutant that now goes by Egg. Again, Sinead Kenny's piece has some really cool stuff about, like, the sort of on-the-nose naming of this character and, like, trans allegories, which I don't know that I totally buy, but, like, that's their experience, sure. Um, But Egg can literally just... they used to think that Egg just created these, like, gold balls that were made out of some, like, you know, biological material. No, they are literal eggs. Um, and okay. they only figured that out recently because it's a comic book and they can retcon whatever they want. Sure. Right? Um, they have a reality warping mutant. They have a mutant that um, can give life 
to things. Um, okay. They also conveniently have Mr. Sinister, who has been, who is, a, some of his clones are mutants, right? But, like, yes. he is a villain who, um, you know, famously, like, makes clones of himself and, like, that, and has a whole kingdom of, that he rules of copies of himself, right? That's yeah, like, kind of his deal. Yeah. And he keeps a sort of library of mutant DNA. Oh, uh-oh. And they use all of these various powers and the power of Cerebro to create exact physical copies of mutants as they desire, and then Cerebro to implant a backup of their consciousness into those bodies. The first panel... Oh, my God. I just have to find this. Uh, these are the first two panels of, I believe, House of X. Tell me when you get them. Okay. Wow. So what do you see? What, what do you see here? Um. Oh yeah, no, they are larvae. Okay, I was like, these are either eyes or larvae. They're definitely larvae. There's a bunch of people coming out of them. Oh, it's um, it's our boy. Uh... Cyclops? Is that who you're talking about? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Laser eyes boy. That's his name. <laughs> Good old laser eyes. Uh, yeah, Cyclops, presumably. Is his name Scott? Scott. Yeah, Scott Summers. Yeah, yeah. That's what I was thinking. Uh, clearly, lifelong X-Fan fan. Can't remember <laughs> Cyclops or his name. There's lots of gross um, emerging from any number of chrysalises. Mm -hmm. And yeah. the person in the second shot is Charles Xavier. You might not know that because oh. he's in a black bodysuit. <laughs> and he's standing, um, which is, I don't know how long that's been the case. It's probably been the case since before House of X Powers of 10. Like I said, didn't read much X-Men before this. Okay. And the thing that's on his head that is covering most of his face, except his nose and his mouth, is, is Cerebro. Cerebro. <laughs> yeah. Um, and Cerebro, sort of in this version of the X-Men, is like multiple of these like helmet type things. Um, okay. And they kind of have, I think there's four bases where they sit and he wears one on his head. Okay. Um, and it's, it's no longer this like, you know, big machine at his mansion, you know, in Westchester. Sure. Um, I mean, it always went super well when it was just the big machine um, <laughs> in the mansion in Westchester. So I can't imagine what would be wrong with having multiple portable Cerebros that he can just wear whenever. Yeah, or like what might go wrong if someone got access to one of those. Yeah, sure. It definitely will be fine. It definitely will be fine. Yeah. Um, I have not seen it go wrong yet, but he definitely okay. has some okay. like wild powers because of this ability. Okay. So like one of the first things that happens in the um, X-Men run starting like, I believe, no, it's during House of X Powers of 10, um, is that basically Xavier puts together a squad to uh, take out this uh, base of Orcus, I believe it is. They're building Sentinels, again, with the goal of wiping out mutant kind because they feel that if mutant kind is the next evolution, that assumes that humanity has not like expanded past evolution. Mm. And they feel that humanity has, through its technological abilities, basically superseded evolution, right? And they need to sort of protect humanity at all costs, and that includes wiping out mutant kind. That's sort of their you know, ML and they're going to destroy this 
pivotal base that they knew they know because of Moira, right, is sort of pivotal to the machines reaching a level of sentience that um, would spell bad things for mutant kind. And so they basically, I don't think I have a picture of this or I'd send it, but they basically go to send this giant sentinel head into the sun. Oh, there are pictures of that in the, um, in the Sinead Kinney piece that you shared with me. Uh, I was yes. looking at, uh, I was doing some scrolling. Yes. Um, yes, I see. I think these two I'm about to send you, um, it's actually, this is, I am loving the series and this is some of the best stuff I think from specifically those six or 12 books rather house of X is one series powers of 10 is another, but they kind of tell a shared story. Um, and we're releasing at the same time. Basically the, the panels I just sent you are, uh, nightcrawler and Wolverine realizing that the only way they're going to be able to do like their quarter of the work is for nightcrawler to take Wolverine outside of the station and physically destroy the connection of that sort of giant sentinel head Yikes. so that it will fall into the sun. And that means Nightcrawler will die instantly and that Wolverine will only have enough time to destroy it before he too is destroyed by the sun. Um, one of the few, few ways that he can actually die. You know? Yeah. Um, and the, the thing we find out, you know, near the, in really the last book of powers of 10 is that the scene that you see in those first two panels is those X-Men being resurrected after this mission. Ah, okay. Okay. Um, it may be book four, actually, now that I think about it. But it's it's told in this sort of like nonlinear way the whole time, right? Because Powers of Ten is telling stories over literal orders of magnitude of time, whereas House of X is telling sort of like the beginnings of the Krokoan story. Interesting. And I think what follows is some of the most potent metaphor around queer liberation. <laughs> and I think uh, some of the most emotional writing in the series. Mm -hmm. So I'm going to send you a bunch of panels. I'm not going to talk through them all, but you can, you can look at them and kind of see what I'm talking about. Basically when the mutants that went on that mission are resurrected, Xavier meets them. Uh, I forget is it Arbor Magna? I believe that's what it's called. Um, but he meets them and he speaks to them. He says, come to me, my X-Men, or to me, my X-Men, he says, mm -hmm. you know, kind of gets them acclimated to the fact that they are, again, alive. And then Storm comes in the room and says, on your feet, mutants, the world is not ready for the likes of your return, but Krakoa is waiting. And then she and the five and the recently resurrected mutants sort of walk out of Arbor Magna and there's this huge crowd of mutants um, in Krakoa sort of like waiting, uh, waiting there for them. And she gives sort of this, she's like, it's, it's a ceremony, right? And it almost, it repeats almost every time they do these resurrections, but this is the first time. And she says, a great thing has happened today, a miracle made possible by mutant hands, the great work of the five. Love them for they have righted the wrongs of man and defeated our great enemy death. And she gives some more speechifying and says, I see them, do you? And the crowd chants back. I, I kind of actually laugh a little bit this a little bit at this because the, the chant is a lot of words for a crowd, but it says, we see them, but do we know them? And then she goes to each one of them. She says, what's your name? And she says, and how do I know you? 
how do I know it's you? And they say something. And she says, you know, about Cyclops, this is my brother. I know him. As do you. Yes, his name is Cyclops, but he's more than that. What is he? And the crowd chants back mutant. And she does this for every single one of them. And every time, like, they're they're chanting mutant, they're like fists are in the air, and I'm like weeping. Like it, like this this shit is so good. And it's this like sort of like wave of joy of um relaxation i think it's the thing mm-hmm. that i feel like a, like a, a the ability to breathe right mm-hmm. um in a way and it's the stuff that like made me be like i need to talk to ac about this right yeah <laughs> like i have i have been talking a lot recently on the internet too um about like I am living in Oklahoma at the moment. And that was a decision that my husband and I made on purpose. Right. And I'm realizing that like, it's not a mistake to have made that decision, but it is something that I don't think is a long-term decision. Yeah. Like we have said, we are going back to a place that is safer. The thing about that is there is no safe place, right? There is no truly safe place, right? Right. There are places that are orders of magnitude safer than the place that I am now. But there is never a place where, yeah. like, as a queer person, you and I will ever be, like, truly um, away from the possibility of harm for being queer people. Right. 100%. And I don't think that in this sort of fictional, bombastic story, Krakoa is necessarily, like, completely free from the threats of the outside world. But it is free in a way that, like, is inaccessible <laughs> to you and me as real humans. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that that's... Yeah. That's the shit that has like stuck with me as like Matt Horton, the person is, is like that emotion of um, having a place that I can go back to that is um, not just home because home can be really unsafe, can be really terrible, Mm -hmm. but can still feel like home, but is protective and that I am protective of um, and that is full of people that protect each other. Yeah. I think so much of the like, you know, the, the stereotype of like, if you're queer, you have imagined at least once in your life, buying a piece of land and getting all of your friends together and like pooling all of your money to figure out how you can build a haven of some kind, right. To shelter yourselves from those kinds of experiences. And like, that speaks exactly to what you're saying. And I mean, to that point, Mm -hmm. what the mutants are doing here, right. Carving out a place for them in the world where, they can celebrate and cheer and say, we are mutants. And that is, that, that's not, it's it's both essential to the story and not important at all. And it is everything that we are. And it is the least important thing about any of us mm-hmm. here in conversation yeah, with absolutely. each other. Um, I just sent you a few panels that are just um, in a couple of the, in the last two books of yeah. House of X and Powers of 10, uh, the number six of both of those series. Um, both of those books end with this celebration. Mm. You get a slightly different take on it in each of those books, but it's um, what is not lost in either of them is that like, this is a place to exist, right? To um, to revel, to enjoy mm-hmm. the company of others like yourself. Um, there's this wild panel, which I hope you can see, of Jean Grey and Wolverine and Scott Summers, which implies a polyamorous relationship that is absolutely explicit later <laughs> on in the books. Um, and yeah um and it's i I don't know there's just like (laughs) besides that there's so much joy like 
it, on the next page, there's this random shot of Jubilee just like running by this, you know, imagined camera. And when I see it, it's just like, there is so much yeah. happiness in this place. Right. Um, and it's like, there's yeah. this, there's this moment in, um, I mentioned like the new mutants book where there's sort of a cartel coming for some of the people. Um, and I forget exactly what was mm-hmm. happening, but, um, they make it back to Krakoa or at least some subset of them do. And they, and one of them just like mentions how like, it's so good to have this place, right. It's so good for this place to be an option. Mm -hmm. Right. And like that level of freedom is the thing that, that like really stuck with me. It's funny that you mentioned the like commune thing is because I know some people here in Oklahoma that have like done it, right? Like, like I know five or six like yeah, yeah, yeah. wealthy no, queers that have like bought some land and invited their friends to live with them. Yeah. I mean, it's also like, it is a dream that it exists because there is also historical and material evidence that it was something that was once mm-hmm. more accessible to do. Right. Um, it's still usually required having a pretty wealthy friend and like, also requires us to navigate the conversation around like the politics of land ownership. And, but, but that is like a very real and very specific thing that used to happen often. Five women lived together in this house and they were all, none of them married. And we need not say anything other than they took great care of each Mm -hmm. other and they were as sisters, right? Like that is a story that you can find repeated throughout history over and over again. And whether all of those women and all of those people and all of those situations were queer or otherwise, Mm -hmm. isn't the point. You know, I think it's like something that seems really touching. And I think that, you know, you're pointing to here, right? Is like the configuration of family um, and like the creating of space for the configuration of family that is a space mm-hmm. for you to to relax into yeah. and to feel at home in, right? I think the interesting the interesting thing both about like the reality of those situations and the fictional um, reality here is that isolationism, right? And I think earlier I talked about how that is yeah. different from how Xavier and Magneto have been painted in the past. Again, Xavier yeah. very. Uh, assimilationist magneto very um violent reactive um but also trying to take care of his people this is where i want to talk about how people see these characters (laughs) yeah i i now know after researching this that i am not the only person that thinks this thank god okay um so often (laughs) it is i see a lot of times people paint xavier and magneto as like cheap mappings to Martin Luther King and Malcolm X. It mostly comes from a line from the movies where Magneto says by any means necessary. This plastic prison of theirs won't hold me forever. The war is still coming, Charles, and I intend to fight it. By any means necessary. Right, which is both a direct reference and not meant to be Magneto is Malcolm X. Yeah, and also we'll we'll skip over we'll we'll ignore the part where everyone thinks that by any means Correct. necessary right. something that only Malcolm <laughs> X ever said, um, because very much so not the case. Malcolm X was in fact repeating the words of i like ideologues and theorists and writers mm-hmm. well before him who right. shared and similar like there's ideas. this. This wild. I can't. I'm not gonna look it up. But there's this wild Michael Fassbender interview where he like clearly does not. 
he just like not he's not prepared for it and he gets asked about the malcolm x comparison and he's just like yeah, yeah i mean totally and like people take it now as like word that like I, you're not the first person to pay Magneto one like you have no stake in the game Two, like please please don't claim this this like let the words that Stan Lee said about what the X-Men were stand right um, and then also like don't yeah. don't assume that like we all have to take it the way that like you've you've now said it's created to be. Yeah. I mean, I think number one for me is like, let's not map over Magneto, who has only ever been portrayed as like a well-to-do white man with access to both literal and figurative power um, as having the same trajectory as Malcolm X. Maybe we don't do that. Yeah. And maybe we don't just like at, at like, just like a really base level be like this one's violent and this one is not like you know like one of the real people not true in terms of ideology right like martin luther king is a much more complex person than people give him credit to be right um and malcolm x right much more complex person than the narrative would have you believe right um magneto one, he's a fictional character. <laughs> Two, if if we ignore uh-huh. that, has a history that is maybe broader than the ones that, you know, exists in the movies. But two is like at least historically extremely violent, violent and neither of those other two real men were that, mm-hmm. right? Um, no one, neither of them have like themselves committed genocide or, you know, um, run a, yeah. a team of superpowered mutants to go murder humans. You know, like that's not, that's not happening in either of those yeah. stories. And and um, no, I think no. trying to paint uh, Martin Luther King onto the heroicism of Xavier, it, it's just gross. It just like it flattens out a real person into this kind of like yeah. thing that's not true. And also about characters that I care about, it flattens out Xavier into like a person that is not true. Like he it does a lot of fucked up stuff in these books, right? Um, that are different, yeah. uh, different in their diversity than maybe Martin Luther King's real lived existence. Yeah. I think all of that's right. I think, I think the other thing, like for me, as I was like, it, it, it flattens Xavier. I think it helps interestingly, right. It helps gloss over, right. Like in the same way that like the white mythos around, Martin Luther King Jr., right? The mythology of who Martin Luther King Jr. was and what he believed and what his life was like serves a narrative of white supremacy, right? Like, we're not gonna... It, it It's not comparable in any way, right, to what happens with Xavier, but painting Xavier as the hero mm-hmm. who is the one who cares is not Mm -hmm. true at all true to the experience of like what Mm -hmm. Xavier's actions have been over time. Right. It, if you position yourself, well, my, this is, this is my personal opinion. If you position yourself as Xavier is the hero of the story, I expect that you think that Iron Man is the hero of the story of the Avengers, right? Like that there is a, a refusal to understand 
the fallacy of a man mm-hmm. who thinks that he can solve it himself or he he can be the one mm-hmm. to solve the problem and save the world which is maybe him right. and, something him <laughs> and magneto have in common but certainly it's it is portrayed as a very bad thing mm-hmm. that magneto thinks about himself and it is portrayed as a very good thing that charles xavier thinks about himself mm-hmm. and that tony thinks about himself well the the mcu movies are kind of back and forth well. on that and not very consistent <laughs> well. but yeah all of that said, I understand the pull to map these characters, right? I understand it. I'm not like criticizing anyone who's like not thought much deeper than that. That's not what I'm trying to say. Yeah. But the, I think the thing that's more important is that X-Men is historically like as an entity as, as you know, not X-Men, the product, right. Is interested in clearly telling stories of oppression, of rising against oppression and of like, succeeding or failing in in whatever that fight ends up you know resulting in yeah to me at least of the stuff i've read remember my experience is limited (laughs) um (laughs) krakoa is the first time it feels that like they've managed to do that in a unique way right Mm. without it being like the after school special version you know the hidden figures version right (laughs) the green book version (laughs) um the green book (laughs) Um, Oscar award winning film The Green Book Sorry There is this scene In House of X number four I think it is I'm sending you a link Literally the World Economic Forum Has invited them To Davos (laughs) And you know A bunch of other world leaders Somebody from Wakanda Is there the I will talk later about like the positioning Of Wakanda and Krakoa Against each other Is really Mm. interesting Mm. Um, But there's this scene And uh Magneto just lays into these people. Um, so it, it's this panel kind of starts in the middle, but then uh, he says, better versions of a better life. He's eating a steak this whole time. Um, better drugs for a longer, healthier existence. And then we will take the money, the outrageous sums of money you will give us because it also means more wealth for you and we'll invest it. We'll buy your banks. We'll buy your schools. We'll buy your media. We'll buy your politicians. And then when we've bought all the rest, we'll buy you because you've taught us that everything has a price and we're happy Mm -hmm. to pay. Then when we have this influence, we will use it. We'll make sure that the wrong sort of people and you know who no longer have any economic power. We will not allow them inside our institutions because it's important that they do not have anywhere to peddle their dangerous, outdated ideas. And he like is finishing his stake as this happens. It's, it's just this incredible moment of Magneto doing the thing that he's good at, but in a way that fights for this new cause, right? Mm-hmm. It's, I'm not claiming it to be better than anything he's done before. I'm just saying it is different than the things that he has done before. He's using the um, the power that he has, mm-hmm. right? Not necessarily his magnetism, right? Mm-hmm. But the... the ah, th- <laughs> his human His human magnetism. magnetism. He's using literally his, his ability <laughs> to demand to demand presence as like a tool in this moment for a new goal of like this, you know, isolationist Krakoa that still has a place on that world stage. Yeah. Um, And it's not a nation that's like mutants running from something. It's like, it's a nation of people who sort of realize the non superpower power that they have in the world. Yeah. Right. Um, Yeah. Which I think is really extremely compelling. Yeah. I think it's so interesting too, because I, Without even intentionally doing it, perhaps you picked up a panel that illustrates why I've never had 
a great like of Xavier or Magneto, which is that what Magneto says here is very true, very compelling, very, you know, persuasive or like does the thing in a, in a new and different way. And also it really speaks to something that I don't like, which is the idea of we will amass your power and we will turn it against Mm -hmm. you and we will make the world just as bad for you as you have made it for us, Mm -hmm. which is actually the thing that for me defines Magneto like as a villain and puts him in that villain category. And, and Xavier does it too. Right. If in a different way of like, you must see how bad it has been for us. Yeah. And I mean that the, the books are not like are not not making that commentary, right? Like right. they're the books are very aware that um, this is Magneto doing the thing Magneto does, right? Yeah, with a with a different goal, and they're also aware that Charles has a slightly different take with the same end goal, yeah. right? Like, you know, I am going to use I'm going to amass the same power and use it against you, whereas Charles would say I am demanding my place, yeah. and that is different from what I've done before. But they're in reality doing the same thing. Right. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think this is a great segue to Wakanda. So like I said, in this moment, there's a Wakanda in the room. Wakanda it has not recognized Krokoa because Wakanda <laughs> need not recognize Krokoa. They have their own technology. They sure. have their own um, isolationism that has um, led to their own prosperity. It's really an interesting dynamic. I think if you have you seen the new Wakanda forever, have you seen Black Panther? I too? have not seen it yet. No, I won't go too deep into it, but like it's comparing Talakan and Wakanda in that film and their needs um, and like how those either clash or work together, which the movie explores both. Yeah. Super, super interesting. Actually, um, I'm no longer on Twitter, but I... um, Good for you. you. (laughs) I I said on my Mastodon account, which I use maybe three times a week, um, (laughs) the other day that I I want Ryan Coogler to do Krakoa next. Mm, I'm listening to the Black Panther podcast, which is talking a bit... What talking about? It's talking a lot. It's talking about the, the second movie, but it's also talking about... Chadwick Boseman and what the movie means after his death and how it came together. Um, but uh, there's this interview. Ta-Nehisi Coates is the guy is the guy like uh, hosting yeah. it, and yeah. um, he's talking. And he and you know Ryan Coogler are, are buds, and he was friends with Chadwick. And they get to this point where they're talking about how like the Black Panther films are films that create a fictional place that is representative of real existing cultures. Mm-hmm. Right. So Talukan is the franchise taking a step towards native cultures, right? That we now see, you know, in our real lived world, right? Through the perspectives mm-hmm. of Latin American people. Whereas, you know, Wakanda is this sort of fantasy of what could have been, right, in a world where, right. you know, African cultures were left to flourish. Right. It's interesting because, you know, we were talking about the sort of like joy and the freedom of Krakoa. And I think the ways that some of the people, some of the black folks that I know have talked about seeing the first Black Panther movie are like how I felt about like reading some of the moments in the Krakoan story. That sort of ability to um, not just be oneself, right? But uh, to exist without fear, right? Um, Or without a certain set of fears, you know? Yeah. It is a comparable experience in a way that I didn't expect. Mm. Um, And especially as like, I have always seen, surprise, I'm queer, but I've always seen personally the X-Men as a a queer narrative, right? They very, I've I've said before, they were very clearly meant um, in many ways and have been told 
as, as various metaphors over time. But to me, even when they were working on those other metaphors have existed as a metaphor for queerness, right? Yeah. I think that's why like Krakoa to me is that sort of solar punk fantasy, right? Solar yeah. punk queer liberation fantasy. Uh, the thing that worries me uh, and maybe like, this is the last thought that I have outlined, but the thing that worries me is that it's a comic book. Sure. Right. And that means this has to end at some point. Uh huh. Yeah. What is the fall going to be? What is the turn? Who, who makes the heel turn? So you have no idea, but you walked right into the phrase. The next series that they're introducing is called fall of X. Oh, well, <laughs> yeah. And I, I swear to God, if there is no Krakoa, I am I'm gonna riot. Yeah. Like I I, I am hyperbolizing here. It's X-Men. It's not like not that big of a deal. But at the okay. same time, like, and I understand that things change and that's what keeps books fresh, but like there is an importance to Krakoa here. What if the story is Krakoa decides that everybody's being an absolute fuckhead and wants to vacate and wants everyone to vacate? That would be fucking rad. <laughs> okay, 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 I'd be okay. down. Cause I was like, I mean, I can think of a story where I, yeah, I, I can understand like why like the place matters and the connections matter. And like, you want the preservation of that. I think about like um, when my partner and I were watching um, the A League of Their Own series, mm-hmm. right? My partner doesn't watch anywhere near as much like movies and television as as I do. Doesn't have um, the same familiarity with like the pacing of a story, right? Like the question of like what's the fall? What mm-hmm. who who makes the heel turn? Right? Um, are a little bit different. And so when we got to the episode in A League of Their Own, that is the fall, right? That is actually very similarly, right, about the intrusion and violation of a safe, queer, isolationist queer space, you know, in this case by the police, up breaking up an underground queer bar, which I guess spoilers for A League of Their Own, but not at all for history because mm-hmm. it's just history. It just happens. Um, <laughs> it just still happens. Yeah. Um, you know, it was like really devastating. And I, and I think that like hearing you say like, I will riot, it's that same sort of devastation of like such a clear and perfect curation of the experience that we are seeking and that we like feel shared joy with characters who we carry meaning mm-hmm. with right like we feel connected to i don't want to go too deep into this because we're like wrapping up but like <laughs> uh turns out krakoa is a part of a pair of islands called krakoa and Arako, who used to be an island na- known as okara it's a whole oh. thing there it's an anagram three times around yeah. um i am reading the story where of Rocco sort of like it has its own past, but it's coming back and it's like haunting um, mm. uh, Apocalypse and uh, a bunch of other folks. But through that story, I know that the, the uh, some of the mutants end up on a terraformed Mars. And I think that that provides sure. a lot of opportunity. Of course they do. Of course they do. But I'm sure that, that I think that that probably provides a lot of opportunity for the story to keep going in, in like the same direction mm. or, or at least yeah. a direction that expands on the ideas that they were trying to tell here. Yeah. Right? And like Hickman, like I mentioned earlier, like, additive right um in a way that is not retreading yeah i think it's interesting too that so many of the stories like i i i this this conversation has made me like want to read these 
you know, arcs myself, but there is actually always an element of the story, whether it's like through Charles Xavier's school for mutants Mm -hmm. or, you know, the justice league's space station, right? Like there is like an understanding that at the very least there has to be a place to retreat to, Mm -hmm. right? Whether that is a place that is a hundred percent isolated or whether that is a place where we mostly do the best to keep each other safe and protect each other from the challenges of the world as perhaps Xavier's school was right. It's just a very interesting premise that you see repeated. Yeah. I would say I'd be disappointed if they went back to Xavier's school, but that's my own personal opinion. Sure. Sure. (laughs) I mean, I think that like for a million reasons, I think I would be disappointed too if only because like, yes, comics are the same story written Mm -hmm. over and over again. And the thing that makes them fun and exciting is when they say, this is the same story. These are the same characters. And also we did that Mm -hmm. and we don't need to do exactly that again. Mm -hmm. Right. I think like to the point of Spider-Man, people were like, we're done with a Spider-Man origin story. Mm -hmm. And part of why the Tom Holland Spider-Man was exciting was because they were like, yeah, you all know how he becomes <laughs> Spider-Man, okay? We're not super worried about that. We're, and then they proceeded to do a three-movie arc that turned out to be the origin story of the other parts of Spider-Man that you forgot. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right? It was like, we we all know. At this point, we're all on the same page. Kid, field trip, spider bite, mm-hmm. powers. Crazy. Mm-hmm. He freaks out. He doesn't know what to do, right? Um. And I think, like, again, to this the, that same point, right, in the animated Spider-Man... Into the Spider-Verse. Into the Spider-Verse, right? Again, it was like, you all know this story, and here is the slice of the story that has never made it to the movies. Mm-hmm. Here is the multiverse slice. Right. Here is something new and interesting and fun. All the same people you've seen before. Mm-hmm. Mostly. Yeah. <laughs> right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and so... I I think it's so fun and so funny. I think like one of the ways that one of the things that I appreciate about how for as much as X-Men has permeated through like TV and movies, there is still so, so much of like X-Men and X-Men stories that are or mutant and mutant mm-hmm. stories because not all mutants are X-Men, right? <laughs> well, in um, fact, early Krakoan age, there's not really X-Men <laughs> at all. So <laughs> yeah, right. Um, mutants and, and mutant adjacent stories. Um, there's so much untapped, like there are so many and it, and in part, right? Like the, the thing about being like, there's an entire group of people mm-hmm. at one point, right? Like you said, right? 16 million mutants, mm-hmm. That's 16 million different stories you can write Mm -hmm. and you can have recurring characters. You can have plot lines that you're familiar with. And here's a new character who's bringing a new story to the experience. And I think that that's like some of the novelty and the value of it. Yeah, I I agree. And if if anything, what comes after this, I hope is like smaller, right? Yeah. Like I love a big bombastic, like wildly planned story. But like, 198 meters. Exactly. <laughs> On a space station. <laughs> um, In a contained environment. <laughs> I think that's all that I have. Amazing. I hope that you enjoyed it. That was delightful. Do you want to do it again? Yeah. Okay. Let's hang out again. Okay. Do you want... <laughs> 
Do you do you have you don't have to tell me what it is right now, but do you have anything on your mind that you might talk to me about? One of the things that occurred to me uh while you were explaining things is uh I think that I accidentally forgot how to give accurate detail when talking about stuff. I mean, I assume that you did research, but you were like so many names at the tip of your tongue just <laughs> rattling stuff off and I was like you know what? I couldn't name five things right now if you asked me to. <laughs> I would look around me and name the objects I can see. A Diet Coke can, <laughs> this pen in my hand, um, and my computer are all I've ever known. Let's try and play it this way. Matt, what would you like for me to explain to you? I This was months ago, so you've probably long Great. gotten past this. But okay. I want to, one of the things that like sort of solidified this idea for this show yeah. was you talking about the Caitlin Tiffany book. Oh, yeah. Let's talk about the internet. <laughs> <laughs> you you want to talk about the internet? Listeners at home, <laughs> if you're just meeting me and Matt, you should know that Matt and I did not meet on the internet. We met on the intranet. And that is a very special network. Uh, <laughs> the local intranet in our college dorm. You're the LAN. Um <laughs> Anyway, yeah, sure. I'm happy to talk about the internet. So you want to talk about the internet and fandom? Yeah. You want to talk about the state of the internet today? We can get into the Harry Potter of it all if you want to. Oh, boy. I would rather... Um... <laughs> I would rather a lot of things than that. But... <laughs> um, I would rather uh, get to ask you fun questions about like your first forum boards. Like, What were the first forums that you were a part of? Oh, yeah. Because I think that it's so interesting. I literally was telling someone about this the other day that, um, uh, well, I'll save it and you'll get to hear about it. I was going to say. But I was talking to somebody about my early interactions with the internet. And when you used to like log on specifically to check if there had been a new entry in a funny little website that you followed mm-hmm. um, and what that was like. So if you want to hear what that funny little website was that I used to log on to for updates, <laughs> I promise you it's going to be weird. <laughs> <laughs> I have a few. At least one of them is Teen Titans related. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, yeah. Let's do the thing that you do at the end of a podcast. Uh, Where do people find AC on the internet? Or do you want to be found on the internet? That's a better question. (laughs) Do I want to be found on the internet? Well, um, I am on the internet both personally and professionally. Um, You can find me personally uh, at AC Fachi on Twitter. Um, I will say, as a note, I read a report this week that made me think maybe I should quit the internet forever. Um, but in case you don't, that's where you can find me. Okay. Uh, my, I'm just going to say matthorton.live. I need to like update that. Um, probably because I don't think it has any of the Mastodon stuff that I'm doing there. But matthorton.live is all my shit. This was, I think we did it. I think we made one of these. Woohoo! 